Well, welcome to part three of the series that we are calling Traveling Light. And just in case you weren't here or didn't tune in for parts one or two, the premise of the series is really, really simple. As we get to a new year, 2021, we know that there's all sorts of optimism that this year will be better than the last, and it's hard to you know, make it any worse. Sorry to jinx it, but um, as we go into a new year, one thing we learned from the last year is that um, it seems like a lot of people, not just people out there, but people in here, are really struggling with taking offense at quite a few things. So that's what this series is all about, how to be better at taking offense from people. No, that's not what we're doing. We're talking about how to take less offense, how to posture yourself in a way that you aren't taking around all this offense with you. Because what we know is that the more offense you take, it's like more burden that you carry with you throughout life. What we saw in week one was simply this, that offense will happen, whether it's intentional or on accident, people will do things that offend you. But what we're looking at in this series is that you can choose how to respond to that offense. And what we saw last week was perhaps the most important response you can have, which is to respond with forgiveness. And last week, I love the message. Ben got into this deep discussion about forgiveness, what it is, what it is not, and how it is to go forward in this season, even when people offend you, with a posture of forgiveness. So this week, we're going to change directions just a little bit. In weeks one and two, we really talked a lot about anger and what that looks like in a person's life. In fact, as you think about people taking offense, that's probably the first emotion you think of. Anger, hostility, rage. Almost always, when someone is offended, it looks like that on the outside. But what we're going to dig into today is something a little bit deeper that might look like anger on the outside, but it has a very much different source on the inside, and that is fear. As we're going to see today, fear is actually at the root of a lot of the reasons why we decide to take offense. And specifically, what we're talking about today is fear of losing something. Now, I'm going to give you a quick illustration of this with the disclaimer that my kids are now too old for me to use them as illustrations all the time because, you know, they get offended by it. Um, so I'm going to give you an illustration from my dog because she doesn't care what I say. So my dog likes to have bones. And on the rare occasion that she gets a bone, she wants to keep it. One might say that she's afraid of losing it, and she knows that I have the power to take it away from her. So what used to happen is that when she had a bone, when, when I came near her and when I reached out my hand, guess what a dog would do who wants to keep her bone? She showed her teeth at me and started to make some weird noises. So. We fix that right away, but I think that is just a simple illustration for what it looks like. In, in human terms, my dog was taking offense at what I was doing. I was getting too close to something, and she was afraid that she was going to lose it. Was she snarling at me because she hated me or she was angry at me? No. She was taking offense. She was snarling because she was afraid of losing something. And sometimes when you're afraid of losing something... You set up an offense. You take offense with someone so that they don't get too close. Question for you, what are you afraid of losing? Just as you think through 2020 and the first few weeks of 2021 or whenever you're watching this, what are some of the things that you're most afraid of losing? 
One of the things that I'm most afraid of losing is people's approval of me. And so anything, anytime any feedback, and by the way, most of the feedback is from my own thoughts, but whenever there's feedback that says you're not worth anything or how could people love you, that makes me set up a fence. That makes me take offense. And I've found myself taking offense where no one even intended offense to be taken because I was so afraid of losing people's approval of me. That's just one quick example. What are you afraid of losing? Is it respect? Are you afraid of losing some time? Are you afraid of losing the approval of a parent? Are you afraid of losing the respect of the people at work? In each of our lives, there's maybe an area or two where we're a little bit more sensitive, where we're afraid of losing something. And so the moment someone gets too close, we take offense. Because as everyone knows, the best form of defense is a good offense. Number one on the sheets for this week. Taking offense can be a form of defense. It's like you're setting up this, this fence, this wall between you and the other person. As soon as they venture into a topic, you basically, through your body language or even through your words, you tell them, don't you dare come any closer. Don't you talk to me about how good of a mother I am. Don't you dare talk to me about how I'm qualified to do this job. You have no right to go past that line. We take offense when someone gets cl- too close to something that we are afraid of losing. And while on the outside it looks like anger, where does it start? Fear. Do you know where this leads? If, if you take offense as a form of defense, it has a very bad finish line. Uh, the way it ends is you become a very bitter person. You basically close up your life, and anyone who tries to get close, you just shut off. The finish line is that you end up lonely, you end up with no one in your life to speak into those most important areas of life. The people who cared, the people who tried to go there, you took offense at, and there's no one there anymore. That, that's a sad finish line. So what I want to do, we're going to d- dive into this topic today with God's help. What I want to do is show you a different finish line. If you can avoid taking offense as a form of defense, the finish line looks so much different. <laughs> so often when someone gets too close, we're angry, we push them away. But here's what the opposite looks like. We're going to look at a section from the Apostle Paul. This is a pastor in the first century who, as we're going to see, had all sorts of reasons to take offense at people. He was being challenged, his, his weaknesses, his, his everything. People were trying to undermine who he was, but here's how he received it. Just Here's the finish line that we're going to get to today. He said, I delight in weaknesses. I delight in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. I delight when the thing I'm afraid of losing is threatened. Because... He discovered something with God's help that helped him see things differently. So what are you afraid of losing? And what does it look like when you take offense when people get too close to it? Today, with God's help, with Paul's words and God's wisdom, I want to show you a different path forward to deal with the offense that you've been taking. And here's a big disclaimer. 
as you walk away from this message today, I know, I know this is true of me. I know you're going to be thinking in the back of your head, oh, I wish so-and-so was listening to this. They could, could have been really helped by this message today. This isn't about so-and-so. This is about the fear in your heart. Because when you apply this to yourself, it shows, even those who aren't here, a better way forward. So we're going to look at what the Apostle Paul discovered with this regard, how he got to a place where he could delight in these things and delight in weakness, delight in insults. And to set the stage just a little bit, you have to understand that the Apostle Paul did not have an easy life. Yes, he was this special person who wrote a third of the New Testament, and you see his name dedicated on church buildings across the world to this day. But he did not have an easy life. In order to share Jesus with people, he had to go through all sorts of persecutions and insults and troubles and hardships to the point where if anyone had a right to take offense, it probably would have been him. And things got really bad, as we're about to see. He wrote a letter um, that we call 2 Corinthians. It was a letter written to some Christians in the first century. And one of the things that they were wrestling with was whether or not they should even be listening to Paul. Because the, the thing that Paul needed the most was now being threatened to be taken away from him. It was his authority. Paul's authority was being questioned. Um, in other words, you know, sometimes we read the Bible today and we're like, okay, this is truth. Well, back then, as people were reading Paul's words, they were saying, who cares what this guy says? There were other people stepping in, challenging whether or not Paul should even be called an apostle or a representative of Jesus Christ. And what should Paul do in that moment when perhaps he's afraid of losing the thing he needs the most, which is his authority? Well, we're going to look at this letter, 2 Corinthians, and one thing I also want to point out is chapters 10 through 12 all have to do with this topic. He's writing about his authority as an apostle. He spends three chapters of this book, right up until the very end, chapter 13 is the last chapter, talking about his authority as an apostle. But what we're going to look at is the very end of it. It's the conclusion. He's basically saying, here's how I conclude this matter. Where I am most afraid of losing something, here's my posture. And it is not one of fear. Uh, here's where we're going to start. We're going to start in chapter 12, verse 6, where Paul said this. Even if I should choose to boast, um, in other words, here's why you should listen to me. Here's why I should have authority. Here are my credentials. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. I have every right to set forth for you my credentials, and you should all be so impressed of what I can do and what I have done and what God has done for me. He says, I could go there, but I won't because that changes the focus of what I came to share. Instead, he goes on like this in verse 7. He says, therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, and I have to pause right there because I think every time I take offense, it's because I'm conceited. It's because I think the world should revolve around me. How dare you? How dare they? And I, I put my beliefs and my preferences above everyone else's. So Paul says, that was my temptation too. But to keep me from being conceited that everything should revolve around me, something happened that I never would have chosen. I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. What we know about this 
thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan. What we know about this is that there's a lot we don't know. I read, I probably spent too much time in commentaries this week, just listening to different people's takes on it. Um, this thorn in the flesh, what we know, it was something that was bothering Paul. Some think it was a physical thing. Some call it a, a spiritual thing. Some say it was an intellectual or emotional thing. It runs the gamut. Even with physical ailments, some people thought it was an eyesight issue. Some people thought it could be a speech impediment. It could be recurring things from, from malaria and fevers that would flare up. It could be epilepsy. There's all sorts of ideas out there about what this thorn in the flesh, this messenger of Satan that was tormenting him, could have referred to. But I think it's a good thing that we don't know. If we knew what his thorn in the flesh was, this thing that was slowing him down, this weakness that he had, this, maybe this, this fear that he had within him, if we knew what it was, I think we'd be, easy, be quick, it would be easy to lose sight of our thorns, our issues, our ailments. But best guess is that this was something physical going on with Paul, something with his body, something that would have been embarrassing um, and based on how he explains it, something that maybe he even thought got in the way of his work that he wanted to do. I'm wondering if you might have something like that in your life, something going on physically. Um, even if you're just in middle school, it's like, why is my nose shaped the way it is? You know, things that we wish were different about ourselves. And as you get older, I think those things get more serious, you know, medical issues. And maybe for you, the thorn in the flesh isn't necessarily you right now. Maybe it's the person next to you. Maybe it's someone you love. And you're thinking to yourself, why do I have this weakness? Why doesn't God take this away? But here, um, as Paul goes through this as he thinks about why he should be qualified to be an apostle and why people should listen to him. He doesn't list off all of his strengths. Isn't it interesting? He turns to his weakness. So often, I try to hide that. I try to avoid that. I put on a good face in front of people, but if they get a little too close and if they start asking questions that get into my weakness, I am quick, on the inside at least, to take offense, to take a step back. So maybe this is a good exercise for, for me, for you this week. What is your thorn in the flesh? I know you try to avoid it. You try to steer people away from it. But what is helpful as you start a new year is to give some attention to what you tend to avoid. Think about it. Really go through the process of asking yourself, what does this weakness do to me? What do I believe is happening in my life as a result of it? And rather than ignoring it, maybe you've already been doing this, would you pay some attention to it? Don't let your heart be consumed by thoughts over it, but give it some attention. Think through it. And as you do, you will probably do what the Apostle Paul did. You see, as he thought about his thorn in the flesh, the thing that was keeping him from doing what he wanted to do, he didn't want it. It's not like he was some superhero that said, I accept all trouble and you know, all, all this difficulty. In fact, what he goes on next is to basically say that he didn't accept this at first. He didn't want anything to do with it. He goes on to say that three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Three times. It's actually just one word in the Greek. Thrice I pleaded, 
take it away. Three times I pleaded, take it away. And this was a thorn in the flesh that Paul earnestly prayed to God that he would take away from him. Whether it was a healing thing, we don't know. Whether it was a spiritual thing, whether it was a persecution thing, Paul earnestly prayed to God to take it away, as perhaps many of you have already been doing for yourselves. God, would you heal me of this? Would you rid me of this? Would you take this away? Three times he prayed. Um, There's also speculation about what three times means. Was it like once a year for three years? Was it three seasons of his life? Was it all in one evening that he prayed? Again, I probably read too many commentaries. We don't know. We don't know how long it was between these three prayers, but it seems like they were three pivotal, you know, rock bottom moments where he just didn't have anything left to go on. He pleaded, God, take this from me. And what comes to my mind is something similar. There was another man who pleaded with God three times to take something away. A man who said, Father in heaven, this cup of suffering that you have placed before me, if it is your will, would you take it away? Would you replace it with something else? Three times, Father, would you take this away? Yet not my will, but your will. And every time the same answer came back to Jesus, this is your cup. And so Paul also three times, maybe in the same night, maybe over three different seasons of his life, he prays to God, would you take this cup from me? Would you take this thorn out of me? Would you take this suffering, this pain that's limiting me? But the answer at the end of three was no. This is your cup. This is your thorn. And you too, as you go through your personal weakness that's a little bit sensitive, that maybe you tend to avoid as you think through it, as you bring it to God, there will be a point at which you reach your three. And how you react at the end of three shapes the rest of your life. At the end of three, here's what Paul heard. And just understand this. As Paul prayed to God, Paul had this special relationship with God, this special connection as an apostle, and in some ways, even as a prophet, God could give special messages to Paul that he could then share with the church. Um, So in some way, somehow, God spoke to Paul with this message, a message that I think you and I need to hear when we're overwhelmed by whatever thorn it is that we carry. Paul says this, God said to me, the same thing he would say to you and to me, My grace is sufficient for you. And then it literally goes on in the Greek. My grace is sufficient for you because power is completed in weakness. Completed, made perfect. The same word that Jesus used on the cross when he said it is finished. God's power is finished. It's made perfect in our weakness. God can only fill up what is empty. And in our weakness, we see our need and our desperation for him. So it, is, it was amazing in this moment. This is so beautiful. This, I think we should print this out and, and just put it everywhere. Put it on your desk. Put it on your um, bathroom mirror. Power is made perfect in weakness. Every time Paul was confronted with his limitations, it would not be a continual, oh God, please take this away. But at the end of three, at the end of three prayers, he accepted the thorn in his flesh that God had given. And now it served a purpose. It did not limit him. It might have limited what he could do, but this weakness poured into who he was. He needed the power of God. He needed God's 
comfort. So as Paul went through this change, this is such a big mind, uh, mind shift in his, own, in his own brain. He had to go through a different way of looking at his personal thorn in the flesh, and he ascribed to it a godly divine purpose. This was not something he would have chosen. It was something that was given to him. And as such, his change of attitude is reflected in what he said next. I will not avoid this topic. If you want to talk to me about my thorn in the flesh, let's talk about it. He goes on to say this. I will boast all the more about my weaknesses so that, this is so important, so that Christ's power, not that Christ's power would flow through me, not that I might show you amazing things, but so that Christ's power may rest on me, so that it may be in me. You see, in your strengths, God can do amazing things through you, but in your weaknesses, he can do amazing things within you. Where are you weak? Where do you tend to avoid going into conversation? That is worth your attention, because where you are weak, there God has a chance to grow within you who you are. And then he goes on. This is why. This is so powerful. This is why for Christ's sake, here we go at it. Here's the finish line. I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. And I believe if ink and paper were not so expensive, he would have gone on and on and on. He delighted in those things because through his strengths, he could do things for other people, but it was in his weakness that God did things for him. Just think about that for a minute. Isn't every moment you take offense, every time you take offense, it's not necessarily because of what the other person did. It's more how you internally received it. In this season of your life, we don't need God to do great things through us. We need him to do great things within us. And that starts by recognizing your weaknesses, praying that God might take it away. Absolutely. But if his answer is no, to see that there's a divine purpose in what you never would have chosen for yourself. And there's two more phrases I'm going to put up here. You're going to know them right away, but don't just rush to the end. Here's how he finishes off this section. He says, for when I am weak, then you better keep your distance. No. When I'm weak, you better wait till I have my morning coffee before you talk to me. When I'm weak... I'll be quick to take offense and you should just understand that I'm under a lot of pressure. And No. His mindset was focused on the power that God had in him. When I am weak, then, you know the words, then I am strong. When I am weak, then I am strong. When I'm emptied of my own power, of what I can do for people, then I am filled with strength on the inside because of what God can do within me. As you think through all of this, there's, there's an important thing I want to work in here, and that's simply this. So often we view our lives as God just wants to use us for something. I don't know where we get this idea from, but sometimes we look at our weaknesses and we think to ourselves, oh, God, God can do great things through me in spite of my weaknesses. You're not a tool. God doesn't use you as a tool to do things in this world. He loves you, not because of what you do. He loves you because you're his child through Christ. He loves you. So it's not that God uses you in spite of your weaknesses. That's not how you should view your weaknesses. Here's a different way to view it. God uses your weaknesses to strengthen you. 
This isn't about the other person. This isn't about, oh, I hope they're listening. This is about dealing with the own fears that you have in your own heart. And so why don't we go back to that question? What are you afraid of losing? And what has that done to the way that you've been interacting with the people around you? I think of this question in terms of how God would answer that too. God, from, from all eternity, is that even a fair question to ask God? God, what are you afraid of losing? Well, on the one hand, you could say God has everything to lose because really this whole creation, this whole universe, everything is his. So he's got a lot at stake. <clears throat> he doesn't have to be conceited because everything really is about him. He's got a lot to lose, but the thing he loves the most before even this world is created, God is love. God had his son, father, son, spirit. God, what are you most afraid to lose? I, I don't know if fear is the right word, but the thing he should lose the last is his own son. And so if I were writing the story of the Bible, which I'm so glad I'm not, but if I were writing the story of the Bible, it would go something like this. John 3.16 would say something like, you know, God was so afraid of the world that he hid his one and only son because he was so afraid to lose what he loved the most. But God did not approach you with a posture of fear. He approached you with a posture of grace. So God so loved the world that he gave away what he should have been most afraid of losing, his one and only son for you. And what we see on a divine level is something that God invites you and I to participate in also. Your life is changed because of what Jesus did for you, because of that amazing gift and now Jesus invites you to do something similar. Matthew 16, Jesus is spelling out what it means to follow him, what it means to have this change of view where you're, not, you're, you're no longer approaching people in a posture of fear, but in a posture of grace. Grace given to you and grace that you can share. And this is how he put it in Matthew 16, 25. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever wants to be the center of attention, whoever wants to be conceited, whoever wants to take the most offense because of all the things that are being taken away from them, and in the end, you're going to lose everything. But whoever loses the thing they love the most, whoever loses their life for me will find it. So what are you afraid of losing? What I've found for me personally is that sometimes I take offense from people because they're threatening to take what Jesus has already asked me to let go of. Are you afraid of losing your pride, losing your time, losing your money, losing whatever? Jesus has already asked you to let that go. And if you had a perspective where modeling again what God has done for you, giving by grace what he should have been most afraid to lose, what if you put that into practice in your own life? Or I'll put it this way. What offense would you let go if you had nothing to lose? I think that's a question worth your attention this week. Sometimes we take offense, not because it's an irrational reaction in anger, but because it's deeply seated in fear, namely fear in something that we have to lose. Would you pay attention this week to some of the things that you've been avoiding? 
If necessary, bring those weaknesses to God himself. And however long it means to you, for those three times, would you pray to God, take this away, take this away, take this away. And once you reach the end of three, whatever that means for you, would you have a different mindset towards whatever that weakness is and say, God, thank you for giving me this weakness to keep me from being conceited. Would you not just do something through me because of my weakness, but would you do something in me? God wants to strengthen you through this. And as you seek to let go of all the things that Jesus has invited you to let go of, what I believe you'll find is that you will be quick to let go of your offenses and to travel light this year. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, some people who are tuned in, who are listening, who are here in the room, they're carrying a lot and they've been carrying it for a while. And I know it's easy for me to share some principles from your word. I thank you so much for the truth that you've inspired us with today. And I know that also it can be really difficult to really dig into this because some of us have been carrying a thorn in the flesh for quite a while. Maybe some of us have been praying earnestly, would you take it away? Would you take it away? But it seems the answer is no, that you want it to remain with us. I pray that you would give us the, the wisdom to see that this is not a matter of you using us for something. We're not some story to tell, but we are your children. And it is through our weaknesses that you fill us internally with strength. So let us be careful and give us the courage to be able to identify when it is someone is getting too close to a topic and our instinct is to take offense but would you help us to let go and to let you fill us up with your strength? I pray all this in the powerful, saving name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.